You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shaka Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hello, guys. Welcome back to The Retail Perch. I'm here again today with Gary Hawkins, the CEO of CART. Gary, you want to say hi? Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Look forward to a great conversation here. So today, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a history lesson. So we're going to be talking about the history of FMCG retail marketing, how it came to be. And of course, Gary is in a unique position. He's seen this evolve over the last 25, 30 years. You know, we thought we'll kind of take you on a journey here, look back at the retail industry and get a sense of how it's evolved. Gary, ready for my questions? Absolutely. Fantastic. So you've kind of seen and lived through the many changes that have happened here in the last 30 years, right? So if you can kind of Give us a history lesson in terms of how this whole thing has evolved in retail marketing. So that's great. You know, as no surprise to any of our listeners here today, retail has been built on mass marketing, right? We've got a history of decades of mass marketing driven by trade promotion. And in the supermarket industry, the world we play in and live in, largely driven by that weekly ad that's printed, distributed out by the the thousands or millions every week. And that has been the mainstay of industry marketing for decades. Now, things began to change though in the early 90s. And that was when the first frequent shopper programs started to pop up. As you know, I launched one of the first programs here in the US supermarket sector. There was a handful of others. And we began to capture this data, began to gain an understanding of who our customers were and the economics they provided, right? The financial value. And it began to give us pause around the real effectiveness of mass marketing. And is there perhaps a better way to do this? And where that quickly led some of us early on was towards what I think of now as sort of best customer marketing, right? Early on, we could identify, hey, the top 30% of our customers that were generating 80% of our annual revenue we need to do something to take care of them. So can we provide them some extra savings or bonus savings or something, right? So I know many times in some of your talks, you kind of take us back a few years before that. And I think you're always trying to figure out how do we bring that corner store mentality using some of this data? And I guess your motivation here is, in your store was also the same thing. How do we bring that same level of personal touch that maybe Tom had with his shoppers back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s with the current technology. Absolutely. It was fascinating when we began to initially capture that data and began to gain this new view to retail. I frequently will describe that like we're living in the dark, although we didn't know it, and someone turned the lights on. And all of a sudden we had this completely new view of retail. It's a great point you bring up because there was a handful of retailers, ourselves, Dorothy Lane Markets, some other unique independents, that as they begin to understand those differences in customers and, and recognize their best customers, they didn't use just offers or added savings. They really began to think outside the box of how can we recognize these people to the point you just brought up, right? How can we go back to their corner store mentality and recognize them? So we saw in our case, we, for example, closed the store early one night over the holidays invited our top 200 customers into a semi-formal party just to say thank you. Dorothy Lane, I remember one year for their anniversary, they took over a a park in the middle of Dayton, Ohio, got 
some famous, I don't know if it was Beach Boys, some famous band to come in and throw a party for all their customers. But it wasn't about savings. It was about recognition and acknowledging their shoppers and incredibly powerful. We see that, of course, in frequent flyer miles, right? In frequent flyer programs, recognition is a big part of the drive as to why people stay with the same airline, jumping ahead of the line, getting those special seats or easy rebooking and all of those things. But that's back in the 90s when you kind of worked with some of these best customer marketing approaches. Where do you think that's kind of evolved into in the 2000s? So the next evolution of that was as bigger retailers started getting into the game and gathering this data, all these bigger players had processes and structures in place around category management, right? Product category management. So it was an easy leap from, okay, we're managing products and categories. How do we integrate that with different shopper categories or shopper segments, right? So simple way to think of that is, can we create segments of customers, gold, silver, bronze, or whatever we want to call them, and as a larger retailer, does that give us now sort of a scorecard or a structure we can begin integrating this information into operations and the merchandising and how we go to market? And so we saw a lot of interest in that. We began to see segment-based marketing. I actually spent a lot of time playing around with that, different prices for different customer segments or tiers. We saw a lot of work going on around that space. So the the concept of the segment-based marketing, gold, silver, bronze, what was it based on? By spending or some combination of spending, frequency of shopping, and recency. 2000s, of course, there was pure power is increasing significantly, but this was being done some kind of automated fashion. In my mind, no, not in the sense of, I think, how you're meaning it. It was still a very manual, iterative process. Yes, we could go create a definition for that gold customer segment and run it and then fix that population of customers to use over the next month or quarter or whatever we were doing, but we'd have to you know, continue to run that. But if we wanted to do any kind of targeting That was a very iterative process, right? Because you have to determine who's my audience, uh, what's the offer, you know, a dollar off coffee, and what's my budget. Take your best shot at understanding, okay, I want this audience, and here's the offer, let that run, and it comes back, well, I've got a budget of $1,000 that came back with 10,000 customers, that's not going to work. So I've got to go run it again. And again, and again, and again, until it got to a point where I was comfortable that the audience was going to work with the budget. Got it. So it's not a press of a button. It's a little bit more than that. It was a lot more than that. So what do you think started to get the whole industry excited about this? I mean, there must have been some proof points that happened along the way where everybody woke up and said, whoa, this is something that we should be doing. Well, so there was a number of proof points all through this, right? And the first was some what we would consider today to be just very basic stuff, right? But an understanding that, gee, 30% of my customers on average are generating 80% of my annual revenue. I mean, that was just revolutionary in this industry because a retailer never knew that. They were never able to know that before, right? And then you begin to filter down into more nuanced learning. So things like, gee, if every 100 new customers coming into the store, only half of them would ever come back again. And by the third visit, we were down to maybe 20 or 25%. You know, those learnings 
began to become more nuanced as we began to work with and better understand that data. I know you've talked a lot about what Kroger and Dunhumby have done and how that's fundamentally changed people's approach to loyalty and using data and leveraging data. And I know you had definitely some little part to play in in that whole process here. Kroger came together with Dunhumby and created their original partnership. I think that dates back to 2003. It took a couple of years for Dunhumby to ingest all Kroger's data and begin making sense of it. But where Kroger quickly went was really three places. They began to leverage that understanding of their customers and different customer segments across merchandising decisions. So understanding how they could fine tune product assortment at a store or group of stores based on the customer population shopping that store, right? So for example, if a store had a high number of senior shoppers or young families or whatever, it would change the product assortment. They leveraged that information into inventory optimization and not sexy, but big impact. But where they really nailed it was in personalization. And this is when personalization was really just beginning to come into the market. Kroger with Dunhumby was employing a lot of data analysts crunching through all this data. And Kroger was of the size, they brought their key brand partners to the table and began to issue via direct mail paper coupons every quarter to their best customers, giving that customer savings on products Kroger knew they liked to buy. And they didn't do it for all their customers. It was some segment of their best higher value customers. But they began recognizing rewarding those shoppers with savings on stuff they liked to buy that over time began to encourage that customer to do more and more of their shopping at Kroger because they were being rewarded for it. Now, higher spending shoppers typically are more profitable. Kroger did this, they began to alter the mix in their customer base, more higher spending customers, their margins began to grow and they just created this upward spiral of value creation. What Kroger triggered was really the growth of the whole shopper marketing movement that's across the industry today. This would have never happened if it hadn't been for someone like Kroger and their size, right? Because day one to the brands, you know, the brands are thinking, why do I want to give savings to somebody that's already buying my product? But it only took that first campaign for the brands to realize, ah, I get it. I'm going to give them savings because they're going to buy even more of my product. And that's exactly what happened. But Kroger was really smart. Instead of just taking all that to the bank, they reinvested those savings in better customer service, in sharper pricing, again, leveraging all this data to better price the right items, encourage more new customers, get them hooked on this cycle. Kroger began to work with more and more brands. The brands were encouraged to devote a growing portion of their marketing funds away from trade promotion to shopper marketing where they could be targeted. That's still running today. That's fantastic. And obviously that must have given them some leverage with the brands in terms of negotiating deals and offers. Other retailers probably caught onto this at some point and started investing some energy and time into implementing something similar. Yes, but it took a long time. Quite honestly, it was only until the last few years that 
a larger number of retailers really began to understand what Kroger was doing and began to go after it. Now, that also coincides with more capabilities, more solutions out there in the marketplace, right? I think what's important for listeners to understand is the cultural change that Kroger went through to do this. They left behind decades of mass marketing, pilot high, let it fly, same deal for everybody, to a world of different promotions to different shoppers to ultimately grow lifetime value. And a massive cultural shift within the Kroger organization. That's what has been so challenging for other retailers, including some of the largest retailers to try and accomplish. That's an incredible story. In fact, I do want to tell the listeners that in one of these series as part of Retail Perch, we will have some people who are part of that Kroger revolution, have them talk firsthand about their experience and how they made this all happen. Gary, so fast forward 2010, technology has obviously exploded at that point. Cloud computing is now becoming real. And I guess some of things that took weeks to do before can now be done in days, if not less. What impact has that had from an adoption of this strategy across the industries? I think there's a couple of things that have happened there. The first is, yes, the technology. Mind you, when Kroger was doing this, and even up until recently, Kroger was employing literally hundreds of data analysts to do all this, right? Massive cost. But again, someone of Kroger's scale could do this and make it work. What's happened is technology has now evolved where this kind of capability has become almost democratized, right, through the cloud, where smaller retailers, regional retailers can access some really neat capabilities today to provide this kind of capability and experience to their shoppers. I think that even though the technology is out there today, that cultural challenge is still a big issue that many retailers need to address. The other is the industry and particularly the brand manufacturers need to continue to evolve how they go to market. Trade promotion is still a massive portion of their marketing spend. So what do you think is the future? Where are we going with this? I think the two places I go, I'd love to get your perspective here more from a technology viewpoint of what you see happening, where you see going, what's driving this. But from my sort of limited understanding of the technology. Two places I think this goes is towards predictive analytics. So not just, hey, here's an idea of predictively, you know, who should get what offer, although that's very powerful, but it's this idea that marketing VP can walk into their office Monday morning and the system is surfacing things for that marketing director to focus on. So Ron walks in Monday morning, hey, Here's a group of 2,500 customers that are at risk of leaving your shopping with you because of a competitor. We suggest you do this. Right. Right. And then the other piece I think that's coming here is automation. When I say automation, not robots up and down the aisle, it's here. We're going to see a lot more of it. But automation of business processes, and I think a lot of marketing lends itself to that. Let's come back to the technology here that's driving a lot of this for a minute. Just speak to, from your perspective, so the role of AI and machine learning, big data, how they all come together. Gary, when we first took a look at this problem a few years ago, most of the founders at Birdseye having come from you know Wall Street and the financial sector, and we looked at the volume of data, which honestly is not huge compared to what you see in the financial sector, because there's more transactions being generated per second than you know what to do in the financial sector. I think the first thing we noticed is that we were able to get data in a standard format 
we can start doing things that at a scale and learn and develop insights into the data, which was simply not being done. When you think about machine learning or AI or any kind of statistical process which tries to infer conclusions from data. So John starts shopping at Acme store on day one. Okay, so John starts going to the store, he buys a bunch of products, comes back. A week later, he's back in the store again. And now he's shopped the store maybe five times and in a month's time. Now the question is, what does Acme know about John, right? And how do we figure out how do we take that data and then create the personalized experience to continue John's experience at Acme stores? And I think the way we look at it is trying to see, can we build digital doppelgangers of the shoppers in the system so we can mimic and understand their behavior and we can be preemptive in our offers and our communications back to the shopper. And that's really where I see AI really coming into the fold because it's not so much about looking at past sales reports and what shoppers have done, but I think it's about trying to understand where, based on what we know about them and what's going on in the market right now and the weather tomorrow, what's seasonal, what can we offer John that's of relevance to him the following week? And I think that's really where we see the power of AI really coming in, truly almost replacing that corner store grocer and his mindset and his thinking and providing that same level of personalization. That's really where I see this whole field from a data perspective going, Gary. I think that's a really neat analogy. The thinking of it in terms of creating almost a digital duplicate of that shopper and then leveraging AI to try to understand behavior in that digital world. To the last point you made, using AI and some of these other tools to deliver at scale that corner grocery experience from 80 years ago. I think what would take us maybe six years ago to ingest data, let's say from 300 stores, two years worth of data for 10 million households may have taken us a week to do five years ago. Uh, something that we're able to do in a matter of minutes now. I think scale at which we're able to ingest data, process data, derive insights, is getting to a point where you can literally have personalized experiences for the millions of shoppers that come to your store. I think leveraging that technology, it's a win-win because I think for the retailer, it optimizes their operations. And I think for the shopper, it just delivers a much more superior experience and keeps them in touch with the shopper. I mean, I think we're truly entering the golden age of retail. We're able to provide experiences back to shoppers that we've only dreamed of, seen it on minority reports and different sci-fi movies, but that moment is coming true right now. So yep. it's pretty it, exciting, I think. It is. And I think where this really gets fascinating, and again, retailers need to sort of open up, I think, how they think about this whole space. It's not just about offers or promotions to that customer. That's a small piece of it. Right. And I don't want to trivialize it, but it's somewhat straightforward to understand who the loyal cook buyer is or who likes Tide detergent. Right. But it's when we can open this up to gain insight to what shoppers are going to best respond to maybe recognition or to different services or privileges or, or even other content, right? Maybe that recipe for a certain dinner that's diabetic friendly for somebody with kidney disease is far more powerful than saving 50 cents on a product. Oh, absolutely. Because of the capabilities that are available in technology, people are starting to look at, can we truly help improve the shopping experience? A lot of people, when they think about a trip to the grocery store, they're really thinking about what am I gonna cook for the week, right? Previously, it was probably difficult 
to help the shopper do that. But I think there are platforms that I see coming around, shoppable recipe platforms, smart suggestions, real-time recommendations, and e-commerce, all of that coming together to really create an incredibly powerful shopping experience, and which is realistic, even for what I think smaller chains to adopt now, because the technology is becoming more affordable and easier to operate. You really don't need the technology and the talent in-house to do it. A lot of this is cloud powered. So I think for retailers, it can be daunting to think of all these tech terms that get thrown around, the buzzwords that get thrown around, and you think that you have to have a lot of infrastructure in-house and talent in-house to really have access to this technology. But I would really encourage a lot of retailers to kind of keep an open mind and just go and explore. And it's really not that difficult once you get your head around it, because a lot of technology today has been simplified so that it can be used easily. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. I use that term, you know, a lot of very sophisticated technology has become democratized in the sense that it's being made available for nearly any retailer of any size today. And to your point, yeah, it's important that the retailers begin to sort of open up their thinking a little bit and understand that some of these capabilities are within reach. They need to think how to best use them, how they're going to look and feel at their operation. I like to use the term, Gary. I think retail technology is reaching its iPhone moment, right? And, you know, when, when Steve Jobs came up on the stage and introduced the iPhone, it was a powerful piece of technology with an incredibly simple and intuitive user interface that allowed anybody to leverage its capabilities. And I think we're getting there with retail technology. We're coming close to that iPhone moment where anybody can pick up the piece of technology and use it in a way that best benefits them. Completely agree. And I think that you can even carry that analogy a step further into almost the app store idea, right? A growing number of solutions are available through the cloud. And all you have to do is provide this data stream or that data stream, turn it on and off you go. You probably see a number of technologies that are coming out there that are using AI in all kinds of ways from scanning the stores with robots to inventory to e-commerce to personalization, all kinds of things. Like we said, I think in the previous episode, there's just plenty of opportunities here for startups to come in and innovate and provide new experiences. So what do you see? as the future? Where are we going in the immediate future? I know we're kind of in crazy times right now. For a retailer to really join that journey of personalization and personalized marketing, how important do you think it is? I mean, if they stay on the same course, are they going to become roadkill? I mean, I know it's a dangerous word to use, but is there a real danger to not adapting to technology and trends? I certainly think there is. I think that danger Now, the risk isn't from your competing retailers. That risk is now being driven by your shopper's expectations. Shoppers today are living in a world of Amazon recommendations, personalization from online digital merchants. They have been, they are increasingly looking for that, even demanding that from the more traditional brick and mortar merchants that they've shopped with. And I think as we've seen a lot of other areas, that the whole COVID crisis has accelerated a lot of things here, certainly online shopping and grocery, but it's also accelerated digital engagement. I'm seeing, talking with a lot of retailers that are understanding this, they see the importance of needing digital communications with their shoppers. People don't wanna pick up their printed weekly ad anymore. And a growing number of them are understanding that if they wanna be digital, 
they've got to be relevant. They've got to provide that personalization and provide something meaningful to their shop. Yeah, great stuff, Gary. I want to remind our shoppers that in the coming episodes, we're going to be bringing on some guests here who can speak to specific solutions, challenges. What we really wanted to do is kind of set a foundation of history of how we got to where we got to. And then we'll start looking at some of these opportunities, trends, and challenges, and how retailers and innovators have addressed some of these things. So, Gary, I think, I mean, from my vantage point that I see at the retail perch, I see the next 10 years of retail to be really, really exciting. And I think it's, it's going to be fantastic for the shoppers and retailers are going to ha- get access to tools that they never thought they would be able to use, just like who thought they'd be able to use a complicated piece of machine like an iPhone without a manual, right? So that moment is coming and I think it's just super exciting. And I know you're, you've always been very optimistic about what technology can do for retail. I agree with you. I think, I don't even think it's the next decade. I think we are really on the, the threshold or that tipping point of a lot of things happening and they're gonna happen very quickly here. I do remain optimistic that many retailers can access this technology today and be creative in how they use it and go to market. You know, at the end of the day, no matter what technology you've got, retail comes back to that one constant and that's the customer. So the question is, how can a retailer leverage and make best use of all this innovation and capability to serve their customers. That's so true. All right. Fantastic. Well, Gary, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Talk to you guys again soon. Again, thanks, Gary. And you guys have a great day. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. 